okay, the questions that is on everyone's lips all the time is when are rates going to come down? Is the sky going to fall? What's happening? Um, should I sit around and wait for a foreclosure and snatch up a big deal? Uh, I'm interviewing the fabulous Ellie Cummings. She is one of the smartest gals in the mortgage business as far as I'm concerned. And she's going to answer all these questions. So let's dive in. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Okay, Bus Bench Babes, we have a special guest today. We have Ellie Cummings. She is the Executive Vice President of New American Funding, and we had her on the show before. She and I have known each other for years. We go back back like 20 years. We met through a friend of a friend, and um, if you are inspired by this episode, you're probably going to want to go back and check out episode 80, where she dished all the good stuff then too. So welcome to the show, Ellie. I'm so excited that you're here. You're a busy gal. And I always feel honored when we have you on the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here this morning. Yay. Well, so introduce yourself, like tell us a little bit about yourself. And all right, all the things. Okay, well, this morning, I happen to be coming to you from not so sunny Florida as I look outside and watch the storm roll in. But I split time between Minnesota and Florida. We're going to talk all things mortgage because that is what I've been doing with most of my time for the last 25 years. Yikes. I go, I'm not old enough to say I've been doing something for 20 years. Just kidding. Apparently I am. (laughs) (laughs) When you're not doing mortgages, what do you love to do for fun? Water, whether I'm on the water, in the water, by the water. So Minnesota, summer, lakes, favorite thing in, in the world about Minnesota. And down here, I can see the water from where I'm sitting. I'm not actually on it. I can see it, which helps. And so yeah, travel, being by the water when I'm home anywhere, and then travel would be my, I feel like that's my biggest passion. If I'm not working and talking mortgages, I'm hopefully on an airplane and traveling somewhere. Amen to that. That's how I feel. I like to live my life too. Yes. And you just got back. <laughs> Your kindred spirits trip. in there. Yeah, I went to Hawaii for my birthday week last week. It was great. It was perfect time to unplug and hung out with my favorite aunt. And it was it was perfect. Just what Cheers I needed. To that and happy belated birthday. Why, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so the burning question of the hour that everybody wants to know, and I thought, why not just go to the source of all things, knowledge and real estate and mortgages. Um, We have buyers sitting on the fence that are like, well, we're just going to wait for the sky to fall and the market to crash. Uh, What's your take on all this? (laughs) I would love to know. That's not going to happen. And that is such a tough mindset that we are like, 
work every day to try to get people out of this. This market is so unlike previous markets. We've got, as you well know, we have a shortage of inventory and rates are rates are high. And when we look at them overall, I go, they're not actually high. They're pretty normal. But like fortunately slash unfortunately, we're coming off this record low rate environment that wasn't sustainable. So mm-hmm. so people are people think they're high when they're truly what a normal market would would bear. And it feels like a lot are getting over the sticker shot of that stop shock of that, but there's still plenty to your point that think, oh, I should just wait and rates will drop and then everything will be great. And I'm and I'm going, well, it's kind of like reverse engineer that if you wait for rates to drop. Everybody who's sitting on the sidelines is going to flood the market. There's not going to be any more inventory. It's not like home builders can pop up, you know, 500,000 homes between now and next summer for everybody to to buy that aren't already pre-sold or, you know, like engaged somehow. And I don't know, the strategy that I think is a far better play in this market is to buy now and refinance later. Rates are transitory. And most people are going to refinance their mortgage two, three, even four times while they live in their house because the markets do go up and down. So it um, it is not a good time to sit on the sidelines. I think we're going to see prices driven up even higher next year. I don't know, like I'm on a tangent, but if you look at the forecast from the beginning of this year on home prices, like every legitimate source talked about home prices being flat or falling slightly. And they've all adjusted their forecasts and have them up anywhere from yeah, six to nine percent. And it's just gonna go up next every year. Every one of them has changed yeah. it. Yep. Everyone changed their and tune. And this isn't like this isn't me in my crystal ball. This is like the smartest people in economics and real estate at Kay Schiller and CoreLogic and everywhere. Freddie Mac, Fannie, the NBA. It's like home yeah. prices are not dropping. And next year, we're just gonna see them up even more. So I don't know. This is super interesting. We did a graphic last week on it. If you bought a house today using a 7% interest rate, and let's say you did a $400,000 mortgage and bought the house for $500,000, your payment would be like $5 less than if you did it next year when you had to pay $50,000 more for the house and had a 6% rate. So there is, there's real logic behind now still be in the right time because even though you get a lower rate if you're paying more for it you're not getting a better deal you're not getting no. ahead so get yeah. off the sidelines and then you can always refinance exactly i know i know well, that's what we're screaming over here too and it's that is it is a really big and it's a really legitimate objection that we are overcoming or trying to overcome on a daily basis sure and it's is getting people to see that logic. And it's fear. I think there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. And it's, it is people get their information typically from the news and the news needs ratings. So they want to tell exciting stories, make things sound worse than they are, or, you know, just create a buzz about something. And it's, it can certainly get people feeling more uncomfortable when they should be looking at this, like, we are in a, a great market to buy and you only have upside from from here. 
That's what I think, too. I love it. I love that we're on the same page about that. Uh, are you seeing any similarities for the market that we're currently in to back like 07, 08, when we all lived through that? No. Nightmare. And I think we all have PTSD of that nightmare. But when, <laughs> when you look at it, we had like double the inventory of homes, like more than that, like like way more homes available and far less families being started. So now, like you take two different things that are very impactful in the economy, we have a fraction of the homes available, and we have more household formations, meaning we need more homes just from not because people want to buy because we're people are aging up and creating households and they need to have shelter. And we didn't have that disparity back then we had more homes being built more homes in inventory than we had ever had we had months of supply. Now we're we are short on all things and are creating more households. So I think we could not be looking at two more opposite markets when it comes to what's going to happen in the near term. Now, we're definitely, there's similarities around recession and inflationary behaviors, but there are like zero similarities in how those are going to affect housing. Um, are you guys seeing anything on your end with foreclosures ticking up at all? No, but I think it's really interesting to point out. I'm going to say no, because I'm going to compare this to a real market and not before there was a stay on foreclosures due to COVID. So a couple of, mm -hmm. uh, maybe it was two, three weeks ago, it was all over the headlines that mortgage delinquencies have started increasing. Well, of course they're incre increasing because for almost two and a half years, they were at zero because people couldn't foreclose. So if you look back to pre-COVID to 2019, we will still probably annualize out at a foreclosure rate less than we were at in 2019, which for all accounts was considered a stable market. And same if you go 2017, mm -hmm. 2018, 2019 and look at all of them, it's that same, it's that same area. So we are, there's a technicality that makes it reportable to say that foreclosures on their are on the rise, but anything above zero is on the rise. And we're looking at a market where maybe we're going to see two and a half percent, which is considered average. Okay. That's super encouraging. Um, rates many times come down in an election year. Like what are your thoughts on that? And what are, what is your crystal ball going to tell us? I mean, I <laughs> wish that it was going to tell me and everybody in the world that we're going to see them significantly lower by year end. The, the reality is I think we're probably not going to see real movement for about a year. And there's a lot of just following, following data trends around this. There's a lot of reasoning behind it with what the Fed has been doing. Now, there are a lot of forecasts that show rates coming down slightly in the fourth quarter. But I'm going to preface that with slightly, like an eighth of a percent, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe a quarter. But there is still, there's still so much, I don't know, we're in a bit of a conundrum, for lack of a better term, of where we still see <laughs> solid jobs numbers. And, and, you know, the Fed's kind of a one-trick pony when it comes to how they look at inflation. They're looking at jobs and they're looking at like CPI and PCE. What they're not really looking at is the fact that we've now amassed over a trillion dollars in credit card debt and that the average consumer is at a negative savings rate. And now we have student loans going into repayment. So we have these households that are spending money on Amazon because it's convenient and on retail and they're still buying gas because of course they need to get places. 
but they're doing it on credit cards. So all of this money that's continuing to be pumped in isn't because people have it. So so it's going to mm-hmm. so what they're looking at isn't like total big picture, but that's our short-term issue. They're going to be measuring these almost archaic markers that always have a huge lag time to them, which is just kind of supporting that it's going to be higher for longer. And when I say higher, I don't, I think we're about at a ceiling of where, where rates are going to be, but coming down, it's always, I don't know if rates go up like a rocket down, like a feather. So it's, it's going to take some, some time on that. I think that we'll see like little increments of, we might get an eighth to a quarter in the fourth quarter. You might see another eighth to a quarter between the first half of the year but it really feels like it's going to be like third quarter 2024 before we would realistically see rates be able to get in that sub 6% range. But there is a reality that those rates will come back because of this whole Fed cycle. The Fed still controls monetary policy and and they're going to hold right now to figure out what's happening with inflation. And, and once it gets to their measure, start dropping and do their quantitative mm-hmm. easing and when it does, I don't know, in my opinion, they usually overcorrect just like they did in COVID. So that's when you see the rates come down significantly. But then the, we just kind of start their cycle all over again. But <laughs> I am a person that likes a little bit more predictability in right. my life. And the cycles stress me out. They are stressful. Because I think and it's like you're on pins and needles because you look at things and you're like, okay, well, you can see it. You know that when you go to the grocery store that milk is still expensive and that eggs are more expensive than they were three years ago. And I think the logic in us will say, once certain things hit a certain price point, they usually don't come back down. Like, I don't know that like McDonald's mm-hmm. has ever reduced the cost of a cheeseburger after an inflationary cycle. It's just, you know, over time, everything just gets incrementally more expensive. So we're sitting here looking at all of these things and we're going to we're just going to wait for the fed to tell us everything's okay but it is there is a new reality to everything of things are going to be quote unquote okay and we're going to see certain things become cheaper and the cost of money become cheaper but we're not and gas can come down but we're not going to see life get significantly cheaper after that so there are mm-hmm. there's there's just a lot that goes into this, there's still a lot of opportunity. I go back to, I don't want to sound gloom and doom when I say things, certain things won't get cheaper, but that's where like having a holistic portfolio of what you're, what's earning money for you, like real estate versus investments is huge in that because you will have, because things are more expensive, equity grows at a higher pace and you have more equity and you have more money you can use to, to invest or to build up generational wealth in a future, even though we're entering a world where things are more expensive. But it was the same for us when we were young. It's not like we had five cent cheeseburgers that we could buy at McDonald's. That was 40 mm-hmm. years before our time. And you know now it's no longer dollar cheeseburgers, it's $2 cheeseburgers. But you hope that wage inflation goes along with that. And real estate is also appreciating at a level that far surpasses inflation. So that goes back to why it remains such a solid investment, even above like overall traditional investment vehicles, like your stock portfolios and IRAs. 
<laughs> it's it's like so much. It always like just hurts my brain. But that's why I love talking to you about it because you like make it real. You make it bite sized and easy to digest. I appreciate that about you. Um, the market feels funky. What is like something that's surprising you about this current market that we're in? It, I mean, I feel like I'm somewhat surprised every every single day. The there are there's no doubt right now that there is a certain there's a certain price point which is we need that we're not finding anywhere because of inventory and the, and like when you go into kind of funky it's I think a lot of people are sitting there not sure what to do because they they should move up they want to move up but they go man I have a three and a half percent interest rate on this current house I should just wait and it's like okay but you have a family of four living in a two-bedroom one bath house do you really want to wait what is the impact of seven percent and using different strategies to get them get them over I think is key but but back to what I think is is more interesting about markets that we would never typically see is we've got some potential gloom and doom about a pending recession and it's like but it's not it's not the world's not going to fall apart but yet we have in markets we have home prices increasing at rates that are not at all indicative of any type of of recession so you've got a like the total opposite of what logic would tell you happening with that right now and coming up with creative strategies. That's kind of where I think funky is, is key here of using buy downs, using different ways to get people comfortable and in going, giving up that low rate, because it's the, if you've outgrown your house, what good is a low is a low rate to you? You know, like it's, that's, it's yeah. it was great to have it but it's i don't know it's also kind of weird of a, we might have i think we've talked about this before but if you went back 20 years ago people didn't talk about their interest rates at cocktail parties and once the market like went gangbusters and the rates got so low it became like everybody was just like hey what's your rate i just got three percent oh i got 2.99 <laughs> and i'm like it's so bizarre to me because I mean, do you walk up to someone and be like, hey, the balance in my checking account is X, Y, Z. You know, I'm like, it's just, it's, we've created this environment where it's almost like bragging rights over these low interest rates. And it is like, what's more important is what's your big situation? What's your overall? It doesn't matter if your rate on your mortgage is 3%, but you've got $50,000 in credit cards at 24%. You know, like looking at the big picture is so much more Mm -hmm. impactful than just that. Or I have a a house that doesn't suit my family, but I can say I have a 3% rate. Well, if you can afford the payment at 7% and it suits your family better and you can grow into it, give up the 3%. I love that. But like that, the analogy that you just gave of like, oh yeah, you're sitting on a low interest rate and then you're just maxed out on charge cards at ridiculous interest rates. Uh, nobody's nobody's really having that conversation about like that doesn't even make sense. No, and people still think like I hear so many people say right now of well, there's no refinances. People aren't refinancing. Why would you refinance? And through the second quarter of this year, twenty percent of all mortgages written were refinances. So people are still That's refinancing. And okay. and when you look at it from like a cash flow perspective, like just talking about 
dollars in and dollars out into your monthly budget, rates don't matter. Cash matters. You know, real dollars matter when you're looking at it from that perspective. So if you are paying $2,000 a month in credit card payments and you could increase your mortgage payment by $500, you're net $1,500 to the positive. You got to stop thinking about the fact that you went from a 3% or 4% rate to a 7% rate and think about the fact that you're saving $1,500. And like with the other thing that isn't talked about is with rates going up, it's not just on mortgages. Like think of like car loans and car leases a handful of years ago were at 0% at every single dealership and Mm -hmm. credit cards were 12 to 14% and personal loans were under 6%. Now, I mean, you've got a prime rate that's over eight and credit cards at 24 and car loans that are, people are lucky if they can get a 6% car loan right now. So, so it's, we just don't talk about rates and how they affected everything else. We spend so much time talking about them on mortgages and that's where I think refinances and debt consolidation remains very relevant for people because they are sitting on a ton of equity, like more equity than we've ever seen. Mm Mm-hmm. How I'm feeling the prime rate affecting my life is um, on my second mortgage that I use to flip properties is that, you know, a year and a half ago, it was basically like free money. The bank was just like, here's a hundred grand to do whatever you want with. And it was going to cost you like $250 a month. Well, now that same thing is like triple that. And it's so that becomes a real bottom line cost when I'm crunching all the numbers on my flips. I'm like, that's making a humongous difference to how much money I'm going to get out of my projects. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, that's, those are real life situations that, that are out there every day that is it, it's less talked about because it's just, we're so stuck on this headline of first mortgage rates are not 3% anymore. Mm-hmm. The other conversation that I've had with people is they're like, well, I just, you know, I feel like I lost out and I didn't get a 3% interest rate. And I said, look in like the most recent history that we've had when interest rates crashed, it's because the twin towers fell and our country was invaded and we had a global pandemic. We don't want something like that to happen again in order for interest rates to crash. I said, so we got to find this balance, this middle ground where People feel like it gets affordable to move on to their next place, but the world isn't also imploding at the same time because that's also not good. You know, we don't want that to happen. And I'm like, I hope, I hope to God in my lifetime, I never see 3% interest rates again, if it means that we have to live through right. one of those experiences. Like a again. catastrophic event. And that's what those big yeah. drops always come on. They come on the heels yeah. of something horrible and we don't need we don't need to cripple an economy yet again, because I mean, that's really what the the mm-hmm. predecessor is to the low rates is a crippled economy. And then you have to have these low rates to fix it. And who wants that? And, and go back as where I was mentioning average rates, you know, and seven really isn't so bad. If you go back and Freddie Mac had put out some data and this was back to, it was like 40 years essentially of data the average interest rate over a 40 year time span is seven and three quarters. That accounts for the times in the eighties where rates were 16, 17, 18%. And it accounts for post pandemic when we were at 3%, but seven and three quarters is the average rate over 40 years. And we're still below that. 
Mm-hmm. And think about it too. Like if you were lending your own personal money to someone for 30 years, would you only want to make a 3% return on it? Probably not. You know, like when we look at real estate, you're looking at the compound effects of how much you're going to get. When you sit down with a financial advisor and you look at like your adjusted average of what your portfolio should return, nobody's pitching you on something that's going to return 3%. You're hoping to get 10 plus over time as it averages out. So like, I mean, it's just different perspectives of how to look at it of these, like, it's not realistic in any type of world that's working that you should expect someone to borrow you money for 30 years at a 3% rate. Yeah. I like you're, I mean, you're spinning this in different ways that like I hadn't even thought about, like I'm, I'm loving this. Um, okay. So you touched on what you think rates are going to do, you know, like going into 2024. What about beyond? Like, what do you see beyond like mid next year? I think that we will find, find a bit of a floor and hold, hold for the foreseeable future around that, assuming we don't have these catastrophic events come through. So if you look at when we started the end, so coming off of the crash, they did that whole quantitative easing, dropped all, you know, dropped the overnight bed rate to like zero for the forever. And when they started bringing that back up in like, it was really like 2016, we rates were up and, and we weren't like, the rates were not as low as they are now, but rates got up and they hung out in the mid fives and they, they hung out in that range and that we'll call it five and a quarter to five and three quarters right up until the pandemic, essentially. So you, you find like this, this area of averages where you have almost hit the floor until the next shoe dropped, so to speak. So when we do find that, that lower floor, we're not going to sit on the floor, but let's just say for argument's sake that, that we're going to see rates in the mid fives, once you hit that, barring, again, no catastrophes, they should be fairly stabilized within like a three quarter point swing of that for the next several years ahead until the next cycle of something would come in. But usually the next cycle doesn't create a big swing one way or another, it might just be, you know, we're up a quarter, we're down a quarter, that's so I think the reality is you're going to see rates over time, stabilize between five and a half and six and a quarter. That feels really comfortable to me. And like, that feels, I don't know, like those numbers sit well right. with me. And I feel like it's still affordable for somebody to buy a home and to move up and to do all the things that they want to do and not feel like their finances are totally being Absolutely. pinched. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so your number that you mentioned er- earlier in this episode where you said 20% of the um, loan applications were refinances, frankly, that number shocks right. me and it's it's awesome. But that's probably considerably less than what all of your loan officers have been experiencing the last few years. So how are you keeping them motivated? So and- I would say let's talk just kind of like as, as an industry because we had in, we'll go 2020, 2021, when we surpassed like 4 trillion in mortgage originations, which is like double what it had been at the high point previously, mm-hmm. you saw like some companies and some originators were like 80% refinances, 20% purchase. Mm-hmm. The, the group on my team, they, 
thankfully have always remained very purchase focused. And even when the refis were falling from the sky, our concentration and our group was still 70% purchase, 30% refi. So yes, there's, there's a loss there, but the, the silver lining for them, because they did not take the focus off of their purchase business and their referral partnerships during mm-hmm. that time frame was that they didn't feel the absolute, you know, fall from grace of like the floor coming out from underneath them. Now it's still a loss of, of business and purchases down, you know, just because of the inventory side of it. Mm-hmm. But we spend like weekly the time when it comes to motivating on talking about perspective in the different realities and looking at these strategies on like debt consolidation of it's changing the narrative and having conversations with people that are different, that aren't focused on rate, that are focused on payment, that are focused on improving their situation overall. And even, I mean, it even opens the doors for the consumer because a lot of people just kind of get used to what their outflow is. And they're like, well, yeah, we've got to pay this to the credit cards and my car payments in our $800, not $400. And, and we're just going to kind of go through it. And they don't think about refinancing because they like their, their rate. So it's almost mm-hmm. like it's a reason to get on the phone and call past clients and talk through and just check in with them and, you know, do a temperature check of how are you? So we do a lot of like kind of role playing and scripting and encouraging around how to just have conversations. And it's not, they're their advisor. So you're not, you're not calling them to sell them on anything. You're calling to check in and see how they're doing and see what's changed in their scenario to see if something might make sense for them. So we talk about that. Mm -hmm. We, we spend a lot of time on like rate protection pledges and how we offer that on our purchase clients of any time the rates will go down in the next five years, we're going to give you a refinance without any lender fees and cover your appraisal. And we're not putting a cap on it because it's the, we want to make it as affordable as possible and get people in a headspace too of thinking it's not bad to refinance. We also spend a lot of time talking about strategies using buy downs because that really does help because we all feel like rates are going to be coming down in the next year. So a temporary buy down versus a permanent buy down is a great tool right now. I personally try to talk people out of permanently buying down rates in this market just because Mm -hmm. you're putting a lot of money at something that you might not get the benefit of because the reality is if you're paying two or three points by choice to buy something down, Mm -hmm. it might take you six or seven years to just recover the money that you dished out up front. And when we think rates are going to drop in the next year, looking at a temporary strategy is really makes sense to like, just have your mind open to what, what is going to be the best solution. I've thought the same exact thing. I'm like, don't shell out all this money up front. If you can refinance next year anyways, that does not make sense. That's why I love the two, one buy down. One, one buy down down for sure. It's like putting yourself into an arm or something like that. Like there's so many other ways to accomplish getting a lower interest rate that you can then refinance next year. But so much of it is mindset. And like with our originators too, and just keeping people, it is, it's a different market and it is, just having to like reframe and take perspective and take stock in what's going on. But it goes to not that, not that I'm a motivational 
speaker and this is a motivational podcast, but it is like, you know, you can look at something and go, what could go wrong? Or you can look at it and go, what could go right? And you've got to focus on what could go right. And also it is like with anything good that comes in our lives, it all comes out of hard work and repetition and doing the same things till we get the right results. And so we have a lot of those conversations too, about you can't give up. It is harder. And yes, you're going to get 10 more no's than you did on everything in a normal market, but you're not going to hear the yes until you get through the 10 no's. So keep going. Yeah, totally a numbers game. I think people would fail to recognize that. Yeah. It's like you you have to know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, then you're like, I'm on call eight today and I've had eight rejections. Well, your numbers tell us that it's 10 calls for every conversion. So yeah, get on the phone make and make two, two more. more calls. Someone's gonna yeah, convert. You've got the same yeah. thing in real estate. I mean, like it doesn't matter what we're mm-hmm. doing. We all have that. And it's like, think of the funnel. You just need to have, you need to put more in the top of the funnel to get something out of it. And you can't stop until you've done yeah. the work. Yeah. Everyone's gotten so lazy because we didn't have to work that hard the last few years. Right? And so now getting back to the basics feels like torture. And it's like, no, this is just right? normal. This is reality. This is like a normal market yep. now. this This is our job here people you know there are there's objections there's people that say no we have to work through it we have to you know pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and keep going oh my gosh yeah and then i you know i'm just managing a little team you're managing tons of people so i can imagine you're probably like all right get my pom-poms ready like come on kids we can do this going Um, what are three things you want everyone to know about what we can expect for the 2024 market? So I'm going to kind of go back to full circle to part of the like very first topic we had is now is a good time to buy. Waiting is only going to make things more expensive. So I think that is key to think of going into 2024. The next thing If you are expecting to pick up some fire sale deal because of foreclosures, I think that you are off your rocker. It is, I mean, we could all, when I say you could hope for a deal, we don't want a market where there's fire sale deals because of foreclosures, because that's a terrible market. And that means all of our home values are going down. But there are not, I don't Mm -hmm. think there's going to be any great deals to be had. So waiting for these defaults or distressed sales, I don't think is a good strategy. And I don't think it's a reality. And the the last third thing, I guess I could keep going on this, but would be that always remember that rates are transitory. And you don't, I know it's becoming cliche of you marry the house and date the rate, but it is so true. Mm -hmm. You don't, we don't go into something because of the rate. You shouldn't go into something because of the rate. You need shelter. You need investments. There's other reasons for that. So getting beyond that mindset of what the rate needs to be because the rate can always change. You can make the rate change through a refinance. Don't wait for that to be your your driver. I love that. (laughs) Well, where can people find you, Ellie? You can find me at Elisa Cummings on Instagram. LinkedIn. I got a Facebook, but I'm not good at Facebook, but you can, I think it's just at Elisa Cummings too, um, on all of those. And then follow our new American funding pages. We all cross post across content of mine too. It's NAF, G-L-F-L, Great Lakes, Florida. Yeah. You guys do a really good job with your, so well, you do a great job with your personal social. 
But NAF also does a great job putting out super awesome educational stuff. I love following their page yeah, too. Thank you. It's we put a lot into it and I wouldn't I'd be a liar if I said that my personal was all by me because I have a lot of help behind the scenes on that too. <laughs> hey, it takes Absolutely. a village. Absolutely. It's got the same thing going on over here too. I'm like I couldn't be doing anything that I'm doing without, you know, Christy behind the scenes, like being yep. the creative genius. For thank us. God for them. I'm like, Rachel, right? can I put this out there? What do I say about this? And more times than not, she's like, I'll just handle it for you. Send me the, <laughs> send me the pictures. <laughs> send me your video and I I'll will help. make all the rest of the magic I can happen. edit it and whatever so you don't have to get all frustrated. I love that. Well, Bus Bench Babes, I hope you um, got some awesome tidbits that if you're a consumer listening to this, you're feeling inspired. If you're a realtor or mortgage person listening to this episode, you got some great nuggets and some really good strong talking points to overcome those objections that you're getting out there in your day-to-day world. And um, Ellie's always a pleasure to have on the show. So until next time, Bus Bench Babes, keep your face off a bus bench and keep being the badass boss babes that you are. Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.